Hey everybody, welcome to the Machination Log. This is your host number one, David Paddock. My host number two to my across from me is Mitchell Londrigan. Mitchell? Hello everyone. And to his left, left, yes, left. Clockwise, we have Javier Ramey. Do you go by Apollo on the scene? I do, yes. (laughs) Apollo is my melee tag. Uh, I think on Smashboards I was Blade of Apollo because Apollo was taken, but I just take straight up regular Apollo in, in Smash. Yeah, you were hard to find for a hot second oh, there yeah, when I was I trying to totally research this that. topic. It's hard for me to find myself sometimes. I just have to search like Apollo Peach specifically or something. But yeah. Hav, take us back down memory road. Um, when did you get into Melee? Uh, FC3. So before YouTube was Google Video, I think. No, it was sophomore year of high school. Yeah, sophomore year of high school. It must have. Our, my first tournament was March of 2006. But I remember... Uh, late 2005, playing uh, with Mitchell and uh, Patrick, just like watching that that FC3 video. So it's, it's for cash, I think is what FC stands for. It's a, it's a long Melee FC acronym. But it was a tournament in the Midwest held by uh, the Kish brothers, and they did the first ever crew battle. And it was this really cool brainchild of an idea how instead of just having the regular 4v4 or like 1v1 matchup where each player has four stocks, what you have is essentially like two players in a row and they each have four stocks. So depending on uh, how many stocks or lives of your opponents you take, uh, when, you're, when you lose all of your stocks, for example, if you win a game uh, two to zero at the end, uh, the next person that you play will start off with all four, and you'll have only two. And then depending on the results of that matchup, you'll play another one. So they, they did this across, I think, like 10 players. It was like 40 to 40 big, lives. It was yeah. huge. And it was like this really big hype event because everyone talks about how their region is better than other people's regions. So it was really cool to like kind of see that happen in this really unique format that hadn't really been explored before then. And the crowd is fantastic. The players are fantastic. Uh, the energy is really great. And I remember watching that video, and that was like my, my first foray into competitive melee uh, and just kind of like didn't look back after there. It was, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great, what, 11 years at this point, almost 12. This interview is mostly going to be about uh, Hav for the purpose of commentary. Mitchell, have you done commentary? I have not, no. Okay. I don't think I could talk that long. But you at least know something about this game, which is a weakness I have going into this. So <laughs> I, when necessary, um, I know. feel free to interject with the facts. <laughs> I know a fair bit about this game, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, Mitch was one of my original training partners, so he's also been playing for a good long time. Okay, to get this part out of the way, guys, we're talking about Super Smash Brothers Melee, the GameCube game. Why are we talking about this game? <laughs> So this game came out, I want to say, December of 2001. The game is almost old enough to drive. Uh, And it kind of developed a competitive scene over the course of two or three years. Uh, And since then, it's just kind of been a mainstay. Nintendo has put out other uh, Smash Brothers titles. uh, The Wii had Super Smash Brothers Brawl, and the Wii U and Nintendo DS had... uh, We call it Smash 4 because they just call it Super Smash Brothers 4 DS or 4 Wii U. Uh, and Brawl had a brief uh, time in the spotlight because it was a new game, but it wasn't good. It wasn't really <laughs> as impressive to watch as Smash Four, as as Melee, and then moreover, Smash Four felt like it was an expansion upon Brawl. So whereas, and the best way that I can describe it is that in in uh, and there's also the N64 game, which is played very passively, but that one's difficult or not passively, just it's got a smaller following just because it's harder to find the controllers <laughs> at this point. Uh, but Do they not have a reliable port of that game somewhere? 
They might. I know there's probably some pretty good emulators that players like to be like pure or whatever yeah. and play on their system. Well, I mean, but there 64 are... is a good emulator. You can play on that. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. Well, just... I, I meant I meant above and beyond that. Nintendo hasn't put out a professional virtual console version. There of There was wasn't there a virtual console? Maybe, probably. I know Melee hasn't had one, but no, I feel like not. a lot of the good classic 64 games did. So it's possible that it's on there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just but that seems like it would be the way that you got. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I assume you guys. Based on the little bit of reconnaissance that I've done, uh, you're still on the hunt for 17-inch CRTs <laughs> and GameCube controllers. Yeah, every time I pass, yeah. the, you know, a driveway that's got a CRT in it, you know, it's a single tier. <laughs> someone just put away this like dying breed of necessary for our game. Yeah. So melee is a weird game like that. But yeah, melee and 64 um, were much favored the uh, the aggressor a lot more. Like the game was much more offensive in that your defensive options were much more limited, whereas in Brawl and Smash 4, your defensive options are a little bit better. So uh, whereas 64 and Melee are very fast in terms of like hit confirm into follow, um, Brawl is a lot slower than that. Smash 4 has gotten a lot better. Uh, the defensive options are less you know, unbeatable, really. They're not impenetrable anymore. And the follow-ups are a little bit easier in the sense that you can get combos, whereas in Brawl, it was just like one, maybe two hits. So Smash 4 has been a great uh, extension of those mechanics, and that game is also still streamed. Uh, at the same time, uh, our, our weekly tournaments here in Orlando, we have one on Monday for Melee and one on Tuesday for Smash 4. Plug it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> CFL Smackdown is the name of our tournament. Uh, we hold it at Campus Cards and Games on, I don't want to say it's corporate. It's just, off, it's just outside of UCF. You um, also host it on Twitch TV, I would assume. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Twitch.tv slash PolarityGG is our channel. Uh, Polarity is the people who, the, the tournament organizers, they are completely independent of the store and of their previous brand. And they put on a great tournament. I, re- I really like uh, the production value of their, of their stuff. Their, just, I mean, holding on, holding their tournaments is, has been really efficient in the past. I mean, we have 140 of them at this point as of last Monday. So, Mitchell, as an impartial expert spectator, how would you rate SmackDown out of 10? Uh, I think, I mean, I haven't watched a lot. I think you guys do a pretty good job, though. I'd say, like, I don't know, 8 or 9. That's, that's, that's can be, very appreciable. Like, I don't follow on Twitter... I don't use Twitter, so I don't know if, if, if you post on Facebook when the stream is actually on. I can probably be more proactive about that. I think I follow you guys now. So. Have you ever been to one? No, I haven't. I should at some point. What's, yeah, what's holding you up, man? Uh, it's a whole, like, 15 minutes away from me. I don't <laughs> got time for that drive. Bob, how many of these have you participated in? Not Boy. commentary-wise, but competitively. Specifically SmackDown? SmackDown. Or, okay. Um, we'll pull back the camera from there. I'm just curious. What's okay. Your, uh, I had a what, pretty big season, I want to say, in 2016. Like, early 2016, I did a lot of plays. So I was doing every week or every other week. I've probably done at least 30 of them. It's been a while since I was, com- like, really seriously into it. Uh, by a while, I mean, like, six, eight months. <laughs> like, it's not been a super long time. You're pretty close to the power rankings, right? Yeah, yeah. We've got our... our um, our, our ranking of players in terms of how good they are in our region. And uh, we did a top 15 at one point, and I was on the honorable mention. So I was like number 16 through 20, which wasn't worth ranking. But it was like, hey, these people are, are names to look out for uh, in the coming seasons. So that, that was, that's about the pinnacle of my, my singles career. And I guess that covers my next question. How good are you at this game? <laughs> I used to be the gatekeeper, but people got uh, really, really good recently. I, at Melee? Yes. Uh, it's, it, it is crazy. I mean, did the uh, meta evolve? It, it did. And also like between just technically and, um, like just knowledge wise players are, are, are a lot good at, um, 
I'm sorry, I really did. Uh, the meta shifted towards a very punish-heavy metagame, uh, where um, players, instead of playing a little bit defensively, so the, the two particular stages that melee can frequently be broken down to is the neutral, where neither player has an advantage, and both of them are trying to gain an advantage, and the punish, which is when one player does have an, an advantage. So the, the punish game is how long can you string your combos, uh, how quickly can you finish out a stock, you know, how you make their opponent lose their life, um, before going back to neutral where you lose control of your opponent's movement and they're in full control of theirs. So this, the game has shifted so that people know like what percent certain combos work and which ones they don't and how to quickly finish edge guards. And it, it's punish heavy in a level that I haven't been able to catch up with. Like sometimes my punish is really on point and sometimes it's not, whereas a lot of players have like really, really well-defined like combos and stock finishes that I have trouble keeping up with. Um, so I think my neutral is still decent, but even theirs, like their neutral is for setting up for the optimal punish. My, my neutral is not. My neutral is for setting up for like small gains because the particular character that I play, uh, Princess Peach, I feel like she plays the long game a lot better than the other characters. She doesn't have a very uh, super strong kill move. Uh, she has good offstage uh, play because of the, the, ex the float that she has access to and her fall speed. But as terms of like raw kill power, she, it's very difficult for her to get a kill under 100. Uh, so I'm, I'm better at playing the long game. If we're both like trading hits over and over, eventually I'll win because they'll just die before I do, as long as they don't get a strong hit in. Is this the first fighting game that you have followed or played? Absolutely. This was really my... Was this your first competitive game? Yes. This was the first Was this your I... first, Mitchell? Um, probably, yeah. I think and so. And only? Um, I mean, I, I've played in some Dota tournaments, so... Oh, you have? You've played yeah. in straight-up tournaments? Like local, yeah, or UCF ones, yeah. Oh, okay. I know, Hav, you've expanded your horizons yeah, competitively I, I speaking. from there. I really, when I found that itch, it was a lot of fun to, like, play other games competitively. And I, I really appreciate that aspect of the game. It's a little stressful sometimes, so I don't like doing it with everything or all the time just because, like, aside from the fact that you're paying money to play in the games and you want to get your money's worth... Uh, it, it, there's like a point of pride. It's like, okay, I've never lost this person, so I want to keep up this uh, this record that I have. Or at the same time, if you've never beat someone, you want to, you know, break that streak. So there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of effort involved into doing as well as you can during tournaments that can be a little bit stressful. So when did you start commentating? Um, just about a year or two back, I think I'd done a little bit of commentary, just like. I think it was, it was Nick and Patrick who uh, did a really good job commentating at one of the CEOs. I think it was CEO Winterfest yeah, it was pretty around good. 2014 and 2015. And they Which did is it. a more generalized fighting tournament. Yeah, uh, community effort. I don't know why I felt the need to generalize that. Anybody who's still listening to this has played a fighting game before. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, CEOs, Community Effort Orlando. It's uh, hosted by J Alex Jabaley, I think. Uh, and he does a great job putting on, again, like really high production value. He brings in vendors. Um, he does a great job. So look out for a CEO in the summer. It's a great Excellent tournament to follow. Kick. Um, but yeah, I, I saw the two of them commentating on uh, one of the qualifiers, I think, for the tournament. And I thought that looked really interesting, a lot of fun. And I felt like I could add to that. Uh, and our, our weekly tournament, the CFL Smackdown that I mentioned earlier, has a much more consistent set of people who show up. But the, uh, obviously, because it's weekly, so it's pretty consistent. But the commentary is a little bit more fluid. And at one point, I, I jumped onto the mic because I wanted to try it, and I thought I, I was fairly insightful and I had a good, a good time doing it. And then a lot of people who were watching mentioned, hey, you were pretty good at this. Thank you for your commentary. So I thought, oh, okay, this might be something that, I'm, that I, I might have a calling for. 
Two-pronged question. What qualifies as insightful commentary in this game? Okay. Uh, and the next part, which I'll let you just stew on while you think about that one, is what makes good commentary, period. <laughs> um, insightful first. That question's right. probably easier to answer. In, insightful's an interesting one. So I always, I always go back to the fact that commentary is a very difficult game in the sense that you have, uh, depending on your game, a very wide audience uh, that's actually viewing your stream in terms of their skill level and their interest and what it is that they're looking for. So you have to appeal to a lot of different people when you're commentating. Newer players who are just getting into Melee or trying to you know, up their game, really appreciate a little bit of play-by-play -play in terms of what a character matchup is like or why a particular uh, sequence worked out the way it did. But as soon as you get up to like slightly higher level players, they don't really care. They already know. <laughs> so they don't need someone who doesn't play Fox or doesn't play Marth telling them how the Fox and Marth matchup goes. I mean, do the top level players just play the Twitch streams with mute on? I would assume they don't learn much from the commentary. No, they don't learn anything. The, the very top <laughs> players are, they, a lot of them don't like it at all. They really, really don't like commentary. And on the one hand, it's not really for them. Uh, but at the same time, you do still want to appeal to as wide an audience as you can. Well, that's, that's, we've talked about this several times when we were uh, just prior to the podcast and even during the, we have actually talked about this particular subject before. Mm -hmm. um, when you're providing commentary, it is theoretically for one of two purposes. It's either to be insightful and inform the audience, which requires that the audience not already know everything there is to know. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, there is flavor. And to this, be entertaining, absolutely. Yeah, and this is, this is the dichotomy that most sports, if anybody's watched ESPN, even I'm familiar with this format, you get, you get an MMA fighter who has been in the ring before but hasn't had his bell rung so many times he can speak, and then you have Joe Rogan on the side um, blasting people for left and right for no obvious reason just because mm -hmm. he's a hype man. Right. Um, you fit into one of those two categories, I assume? Uh, depending on my co-commentator, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, you let it back back and forth based on who you're with? Yeah, I've got a decent, like, since I've been playing for 11 years, I have a decent, like, grasp of the game. So there's some times where I think it, uh, my insight is useful, but there are other times where I know I should defer to my, my co-commentator in terms of what they're saying and kind of, like, ask the questions as opposed to, to be, you know, energetic and exciting. And the dichotomies that I, I, I came with, I'm, I'm trying to write a blog about the commentary that I did a handful of weeks back. I did four weeks in a row. Uh, quick backstory, we had a lot of people complaining about our commentary being bad and that they didn't like it. So I said, okay, I'm going to see if I can take personal responsibility for this. I'm going to spend the next four weeks commentating all of our tournaments. Just let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, so that we can give you guys the best production that we can. And so I feel like I learned a lot from that. Um, I'm hoping people appreciated what I did. I'm hoping that they'll learn a little bit more about commentary. And I'm trying to write a blog about it. But the dichotomies are that you want to be informative, but not boring. You want to be personable, but not too personal. You don't want to be like, oh, Dave over here is doing a great job with the match. Or like, not everyone knows who Dave is. You know, Dave might be, you know, butt kicker 3000, and I'm calling him Dave, so it's a little upsetting. And I least, assume you use aliases across the board. Yeah, pretty much. You, you want to do that almost every time. Because people pick their aliases for a reason. They're kind of fun, and they're also more well-known. Uh, and then you want to be... Uh, entertaining but not obnoxious. Like there's a lot of people who are just screaming into the microphone and that's not fun. It's not interesting and sometimes it's painful. So you kind of want to thread the needle on a lot of these different um, aspects which can, can be tricky. So it's not soccer? No. <laughs> what makes it different from soccer? Well, soccer has about five scores gold over, five goals scored over the course of, you know, 94 minutes. 
So there are like four Whereas, goals to score in this game? Yeah, but it's over the course of it's about a very four fast five game. minutes yeah. instead of a, a 95. So Who's the hypest commentator? <laughs> so there is... Um, I like D1. Yeah, there is a tournament series in California called The Foundry, uh, which I'm pretty sure is, uh, is a bar, it's a local bar. So, I figured it would be a Halo reference, but... Uh, the commentators there are, are very exciting. The West Coast has, has great commentators. The Super Smash Sundays are really good. There's a lot to learn from in The Foundry and um, SSS. They do a great job. But I, I like... I, I Honestly, I think Homemade Waffles and Phil do some of the most fun commentary of anybody. Uh, they're, they're very energetic. They're very funny. They do a great job talking about the players, and they know a lot about the game. They're phenomenal players. So, so listening to them talk about... Uh, high-level matches is, is insightful and a boatload of fun. They almost always commentate the Genesis finals, and they're always so much fun. I love listening to those guys. Who's the most insightful commentator you've listened to? I want to say Taffo Kintz. Uh, Taffo is he's really smart. People are always uh, referencing Taffo facts because he does a lot of statistics. He, um, he's, I think he works for the Mayom group Melee It On Me which is a blog for, for Super Smash Brothers Melee, and he does a lot of the um, like more technical aspects, and he's very, very, very smart. I think he works for NASA, so he's got a lot of insight. He does the, uh, the top 100 rankings too, right? I think so, yeah. I think yeah. last time they were sponsored by like Red Bull, but okay. yeah, he does a lot of writing for the top 100. He watches a lot of Melee. Is he good at the game? Oh, yeah, he's incredible. Okay. He's, is he like top 50? I think he was in the top 100 last year. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I know he, he's been very, very good in the past. How long has he been in the game? I'm Genesis? Not sure. uh, I, he was definitely at pound three. I remember because I think he teamed with Steven. That was the first time I met Tafo, and he's such a funny guy. He's so clever. Um, yeah, he's been, uh, when was pound three? I want to say it was like 2010. So yeah, he's been playing for eight, nine years. I didn't prime you for either of those questions, and you seem to immediately have known who to go to. Um, how much commentary do you deliberately listen to? I try to listen to the big streams, you know, when, when Super Smash Con is going on, or when Genesis, or Apex, or any of the, like, the really big national tournaments or international tournaments at this point um, go on. I love listening to them. Uh, there's a lot of, there's just like Titans, you know? Everyone knows D1, everyone knows Prague and Toph and Scar. They're just like names that just everyone has heard in, in commentary because they do such a fantastic job that they're, they're frequently, like, they get paid to do it. They're, they're, they're flown out to tournaments. They're hired to do commentary specifically. I mean, shout-outs to Doki Sandwich because he was, like, the original uh, player to have that done. I think he's from Atlanta. He's definitely a uh, area of Georgia. He's a great player who took up commentary, and he's always been really fun, really smart. Um, I think he's moved on to something else at this point, but... Yeah, there's, there's some players who are so good that they, they get flown out to talk during the events, and they're, it's for a reason. They're very good. Do you either technically or aesthetically aspire to be like any of them? Mm -hmm. Probably, yeah. I think they're, they're very clear in what they're saying. They have a lot of energy. They know how to shift from whatever thought they're in the middle of to the next thought. Melee, like we mentioned, is very fast-paced, so sometimes when you're trying to describe something, halfway through that description, something else exciting happens, so it becomes... You, you almost don't want to lose out on your old thought, but it also is old news at this point. That's so. a classic problem that 
I've I haven't listened to a ton of fighting game commentary, but mm-hmm. melee is not alone in having this problem oh, where no, the definitely. balance of power is shifting so rapidly that you really can't talk over it. I mean, StarCraft is about the fastest game that I think has intelligible commentary, at least for me, as someone who has never really seriously competitively played a game. Um, and even a StarCraft match, as soon as a battle happens, it's complete chaos, and they might as well shut up. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but until that point, there's at least something you can say because there's build-up and there's prediction going on. Yeah. Whereas in a fighting game, I mean, how much of the time do you feel the need to just shut up and watch? <laughs> I want to say, like, half the time. You want to try to say something, but you don't want to be really boring and say, like, oh, good back air. And it's like, well, obviously, he hit him with the back air and wasn't punished for it. <laughs> But yeah, you think about other fighting games like Street Fighter and Tekken, uh, more traditional fighting games, they have like 99 second clocks. Those games are over very fast and they're not always like a slaughter. They're not one-sided. Even the back and forth matches are done in 60 seconds. They're done very, very quickly, probably even less. And it, it's difficult to like keep up with what you're saying and you don't want to talk too fast because you don't want to lose your audience. You don't yeah. want to be, like you mentioned, completely unintelligible. It is interesting to listen to StarCraft casters in that sense is that they're able to like truncate their th- their thoughts into like like very, as as few words as possible, so they can talk about one set of units and a different set of units yeah. and abilities. Just uh, that's why you got to build the vernacular. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for it to work, you, you almost have to skip the earlier audiences because you can't talk slow enough. You have to just be like medics doing this, ports doing this, or just just shorten absolutely everything as much as you can. And that sort of rounds back on the, if, if you really do only have 60 seconds to commentate, uh, what, what makes good commentary? What, when does it help to have someone talking over the game? Hmm. When, when is your role most welcome? I honestly feel it's during neutral, when players are kind of negotiating for space to try to get to an advantageous position. Because once they're at the advantageous position, you can almost, in big tournaments, you can hear the crowd excited about combos and finishes and, you know, just like really big punishes. And you don't want to just be like, oh, 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 because that's, the crowd's already doing that for you. The players, the audience is hopefully doing that as well for the... Just rip the headset off and throw it in the yeah, crowd. Yeah, exactly. For the, the really high energy moments. Um, but neutral can be a little bit slower sometimes. There's like 5, 10, 15 seconds, usually 5 or 10 seconds, where players are negotiating for space. Or like they'll get a hit, but it's not a safe hit, so they'll have to like run away afterwards. Um, it kind of helps sometimes to, to talk a little bit more about what's happening, why it's happening, or completely go offset. Uh, Mitchell mentioned this uh, in a different conversation that we were having, but talking about player narrative instead of the actual game, uh, audiences love to hear about player stories, how long they've been playing, how well they're doing against a particular player, and like adding that aspect, there, there's just like another layer of, of drama effectively going into... Um, into the matches that audiences love to hear about. Uh, we love to hear about how players are doing because they're people, you know, at the end of the day, they go home, brush their teeth, eat dinner. And it's fun to hear, like, instead of Fox is doing this and Martha's is doing this, you know, specifically Kobol is doing this and Baraka is doing this, you know, like it's, it's interesting to see, especially since styles can vary so greatly among some characters to, to know more about the players and what their, their heads up are or their heads up against characters. I don't want this to be too much of a gear change, but I do want to pivot a little bit since the International just finished up, and I assume, Mitchell, you watched at least some of that. Uh, yeah, I'll, okay. a decent amount. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dota seems to have a serious problem with 
team player retention because there are no specific either national or intercity or there there are no leagues yeah. in Dota. So essentially you get whichever players together you need to for any particular team to try to win the game and that's that seemed to cause a problem with this narrative the narrative side of this. I mean, again, I'm, I'm speaking from almost no, I'm speaking from completely peripheral experience about the sports commentary in general, but they like getting into the stories too, um, in particular in football, which is the sport that I probably absorbed the most by osmosis. They constantly talk about, even if they're quantifying it in some sense, they're talking about the number of yards that have been passed over the course of the season and like numbers going up or down and what mm-hmm. that means in the background and the, the lives of the players. Um, Dota seems to be suffering from a lack of team cohesion that is causing a problem with the construction of those narratives. And in fighting games in general, that wouldn't be a problem because there are no teams in fighting games. Right, <laughs> so yeah. you don't you wouldn't have to worry about that anyway. But yeah. is there how does that affect the way that you watch the game? So Dota is a little interesting. It's a much obviously a much slower game than than Melee or any fighting game in general, or, or even StarCraft as well. And I think because it's slower, there tends to be a more clear delineation between the hype commentator and the analyst. And there's so much stuff going on in Dota that they can usually talk during the game about that without going into the individual players. Um, do they just not do it? They do. At the international, they usually go into the player stories between games, not during the games themselves. During okay. the game, it's mostly talking about Dota. Which I think is fine to talk about the players between games and not necessarily during the games. Um, one other thing with the Dota commentary this year that was interesting, you were, you were talking before about whether it's mostly like former professional players who do the, the analyst part. Yeah, generally um, the, generally when you want someone technical to talk in, mm-hmm. in an informed fashion about it, you would rather have people who have done it before. So they had uh, duos uh, who stuck together um, throughout the whole international, they just rotated the commentator duos for each series. Um, so you had uh, Toby One Kenobi, who's probably the most famous commentator, uh, working with Sindarin, who's a semi-pro. Um, so they have like the hype man and the analyst. And then they had, uh, um, I think it was uh, Odie Pixel, hype man with Fogged, who's an American uh, semi-pro as well. And then the other duo that they had was LD, who runs the uh, Summit, which is also uh, a Melee tournament series now as well. Mm -hmm. They do Melee and Dota. Um, And he's probably the best. Forces combined. Yeah, he may be the best, like, hype commentator right now. Uh, But the the person they put him with is Luminous, who has been around for a while, but he doesn't commentate much anymore. He's also not a former professional player. Uh, So his knowledge of the game really is not that great. Um, so a lot of people can, were complaining about that, that that duo, as good as LD is, he can't really make up for the fact that Luminous doesn't have the game knowledge that the other analysts do in the commentary to, to keep those casts going well, uh, compared to the other ones, the other duos. Do you have anyone that you pair particularly well with, Av? Um, my friend Matt Keep is a great co-commentator and, um, What's his handle? Moses. All right. Do the, at do the Moses on Twitter. <laughs> But uh, and then my friend Taylor Steele, uh, his his tag is just Steele because Taylor Steele is a really badass name. Sounds like uh, porn, porn star name. <laughs> I feel like commentating with them is really fluid. It doesn't feel very stilted. A lot of um, the advice that old commentators will give new people is that just try to have a conversation with the person that you're talking to. But it can feel a little intimidating when you get put on with like a veteran or 
just someone who knows a little bit more, it, it's, it's a little bit trickier. You can feel kind of stilted when you're talking to them. But I, I feel like the dialogue that I have with these two players is, is fantastic. We have a lot of fun together. We crack jokes. We laugh at each other's jokes. So kind of just like having a good time on the mic is almost one of the best ways to be a good commentator because you don't want to be boring. You want to entertain people. Like they're already entertained by Melee. You're just filling in the gaps, especially since like there's not really commercial breaks. It's kind of fun to like listening to something in between matches, if anything. Just like people having fun at this fun event. Like, you know, we are still playing a game, you know, it's Melee is still a video game. So listening to people have fun while watching the game, I think adds a lot to it. You mentioned that your current foray into commentary was basically picking up a torch that had been tossed down in some sense that you guys just needed a commentator. Um, since people were complaining about the commentary. Mm -hmm. Is this something, how much as a ratio, one, one, two to one, uh, did you want to do this versus your desire to fill the need? I always kind of wanted to do it. I like, it's, <laughs> it's difficult to want to talk about the game instead of playing the game sometimes because a lot of us really love the game, so we love to play it. So sometimes if I'm already going out to the tournament, which for me is closer to 20 or 25 minutes away, I kind of want to play because it's, there's, there's people I don't get to see very often. It's a game that I don't get to play a whole lot unless I'm going to tournaments at this point. So most of the times that I went there, I'd think about commentating, but then end up entering the tournament. So this way it kind of, it gave me responsibility. It made the decision for me. It was, it was probably pretty even, honestly. I love commentating and I love playing, but I did, I, I feel, and I, I think, I think we have like eight top 20 players in the world, three top pl 20 players in, or three top five players in the world live in, or maybe not top five, top 10, live in Orlando alone. So we've got some incredible talent in our region, but people don't talk about our stream or about our other players because it's, it's not as energetic as something like the Foundry or um, Super Smash Sundays. And I was wondering what that was, why that was. And at, at some point, you kind of like think if, if the talent level is the same, then there might be something wrong with the stream. So we, we, I wanted to add a quality to that that we did not have in the past. And I wanted to, if I'm dedicated to doing it, instead of having people jumping on because they just lost or because they were in between matches, I wanted to add a little bit of consistency, which again, I think the audience might appreciate hearing a voice over the course, someone who's dedicated to, to talking about it specifically as opposed to people are just hopping on back and forth. It's a little bit schizophrenic to hear people jumping back and forth instead of having a consistent voice. So I think it was, it was, it was pretty even in terms of how much I wanted to do it and how much I felt a calling to do it. You've done it for four weeks now? I did it for four weeks in a row. I'd done it kind of sporadically in the past. Uh, we have a group of people who are like ready commentators who uh, if we don't have anyone on the mic, sometimes we'd prefer to have these people because we know they're very good. We obviously want to uh, promote new people and look for new talent, but sometimes it, it's better to have at least one, con one, one voice that we know is great. Like almost every commentary that you listen to for our CFL Smackdowns is going to have Steel or it's going to have myself or it's going to have uh, fake Bruno Mars. Like these people are, are always there because we know they're great. And we look for, for other talent and uh, foster other talent by putting them on with these veterans or just like more practiced, really. Not, not even strictly veterans, but people who we know are, are reliable in their commentary. How large is the pool of commentators down here? I guess let's start with how many of them do you think could get paid to do it first Oof. in the Florida region? Uh, oh, wow. Florida's a lot bigger. Uh, 
in the Central Florida yeah, region. Yeah, in Central Florida, I want to say there's 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 maybe like six of us. Um, would you count yourself among them? I would. Okay. I think I'm I'm slightly I I, I have a clarity of voice and a clarity of thoughts that that help. It's very easy to get distracted or to get shy, uh, and I know this is. Uh, kind of betraying myself here, but I definitely say I'm a lot right now. I feel like I'm a little bit more fluid when I'm commentating. But there, there's a certain like, like voice quality and ability to defer in a conversation that I think I have an awareness of, and um, Chris has an awareness of. He hasn't commentated in a while, but um, oh goodness, Mars Fool is incredible. I love, I love listening to his commentary. He hasn't been on recently, but uh, he is very, very good. Has Patrick commentated since CEO? Because he was pretty good. He was. I don't think he's been involved in Melee much recently. Yeah, he hasn't been. So, so I haven't heard him commentate. I don't think he's been to our SmackDowns recently. But I think in Central Florida, there's about five or six people who I think are really great, who I, I always look forward to commentating with. Uh, we have a lot of players who are just generally good, who I think are either okay commentators or good commentators. Like Everyone loves listening to Plup because he's you know, one of the top eight players in the world. He's incredibly insightful, <laughs> but at times I feel like he's just ragging on people. He's like, oh, he shouldn't have gone for that. Oh, that wasn't safe, uh, which is kind of like one of the unspoken rules of commentary. You want to kind of like defer respect to the people who are playing because it's it's difficult to make those decisions. Who's the best shit talker? <laughs> uh, that's a tough question. Jeez. Definitely plop in terms of one-on-one. He doesn't like talk smack about other regions or people, but he will 100% call people out for making a bad read or a bad call. Or it's like, oh, that was guaranteed. He should have gone for it. Oh, that wasn't guaranteed. Why did he go for it? But that's just because he plays so well. He's like got the best Samus, Sheik, Luigi. It's like three or four different characters that he's probably the best in the world. Back in the early MLG days, people made fun of Florida for being a bad region. Now he had the last laugh. <laughs> yeah, right. Probably the arguably the best state. Yeah, very of California. Close. I know SoCal has got some like really oh, California in general, just on on people. But SoCal yeah. has a really dense. Um, a really high density of, of skill. Why did you stop after four weeks? I was a little tired. I was going on vacation a couple weeks. I didn't want to... I definitely want to go back and do it some more, but I didn't want to... It's a bit taxing. Sometimes just driving out there and coming back. You know, our tournaments sometimes end at like midnight or later. So on a Monday night, you know, it's, it's still a weeknight. I'm still going to have to wake up early the next day. So I wanted to like guarantee that I was going to be there for two weeks. Or for four weeks, I'm sorry, and and not like throw that responsibility on myself. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it any longer. I would love to do it more, but I didn't want to uh, force myself into a position where I wasn't feeling well, or I just didn't feel like doing it, or I was tired. So I, I knew I wanted to commit four weeks, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to commit more. So I might do it again in the future, but for now, four weeks is good. It's a strange thing to ask of someone else since it generally has to be a motivation that's internally derived. But from everything I've heard from people, I've heard, I listen to too many podcasts. Uh, there's a through line in the people who get really good at what they do, and that is that they show up whether they feel good or not. <laughs> um, and, of course, since you're not being paid for it, it's completely understandable that right. you, we, you'll opt not to show up if you don't feel like showing up. We get mildly compensated, which is nice, and I really appreciate Polarity GG for doing that for us. But... Uh, it is like 20 bucks a night. It, 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 it is a number <laughs> for the night. And it covers the door. Yeah, it, it's, it's not quite minimum wage, but yeah, it gets me there. It gets me back, you know, on tolls and whatnot and gas. But, and I, I can't like blame them for that because it's, it's difficult to like 
pay people a large amount when you're a startup company. So I'm, and they're, they're friends of mine, so I don't mind doing them, you know, like being on hand for them at that point. But I, I feel like if I was going to do something, whether I like it or not, I would need some kind of uh, incentive, really. And uh, again, I, I think I've mentioned this in arguments on Facebook. But it, <laughs> when the only feedback you get is your region's commentary sucks, it becomes difficult and doesn't feel worth it to come out sometimes. See, this is weird. You, you keep saying that there's this sort of national sentiment that the commentary sucks, but that we have six, five or six people in central Florida by itself that are good enough to be compensated to do this? Hmm. Just they don't do it all the time. Yeah, I guess that's a big reason, is that they don't do it all the time. I, I don't think, I, I feel like, like thinking of a couple names off the top of my head, I don't know, maybe, uh, it's tough, because I, I feel like some of some people are a cut above others, but at the same time, I know like you'd have to get paid a lot to be compensated. There, there's only like eight names nationally uh, that people know in terms of commentary anyway, but I feel like we, we do have a lot of talent, and, and part of that problem is the lack of consistency. Like I mentioned, um, Polarity is always looking for talent, so we, we do let on new people, and that can be difficult for, for audiences in terms of that they don't want to hear Smash Newbie 2017 on the mic as often as they want to hear someone like Steel or like Mars Fool or Big Papa. What would you consider on a grading scale where an A-plus is the commentary that happens at the Foundry mm -hmm. when it's worth talking about? What would you grade your best performance over the course of a match to be? Mine? Yeah. I don't think I have the energy that they do. I haven't found that. Um, I, I might be able to give myself a B minus. All right. I think I'm a pleasant enough voice to listen to. I think I'm not awkward when I'm talking. Uh, I know that seems really like rude to say about other people. But, <laughs> but, but some, sometimes it's difficult to not feel like you're on the spot or in a stage. So people get nervous, and I totally understand uh, that's part of the fluidity that, again, like I mentioned Moses and Steele. I think they're incredible because we bring out such good qualities in each other's conversation and in our commentary, and there, there's insight that they bring and that I bring that, that, that we each appreciate. With enough Red Bull and vodka in the commentator <laughs> booth, um, how many matches do you think you would need to commentate before you had an A-plus match? Over the course of a night, uh, definitely the first two are slugs, and the last one I'm definitely tired. There's definitely a midpoint. There, there's a great midpoint somewhere around like the beginning of top eight that I think is the best commentary of the night because there's great melee going on because you're already in the top eight players. Uh, you're not quite tired because it's not one in the morning yet. Um, I don't know. I think it takes me a good three, four, or five matches before I'm really like like running into it and just just talking about melee in in my highest capacity. Do you ever aim for a great? match or do you just aim for consistency i think i prefer consistency um i can see the merit in doing really well and maybe like having a couple commentators that can cycle to do really well like once or twice in a row but it is difficult to be energetic twice in a row for three straight minutes or you know eight if a, if a you know goes best two out of three all the way to three how hard would it be to cycle that out in such a way that you could have one or two great slash terrible matches <laughs> I'm not even sure. That's a tough one to answer. Well, I would recommend figuring that out for next month. <laughs> Got it. Well, I have no other further questions at this point. We will check back in in September when yeah, hopefully we I'll have, have that uh, A-plus match to record. <laughs> Mitchell. David. 
Wow. David. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. We're going to play some board games Absolutely. before Thanks this gets too us. late. Yeah. Good morning, everyone.